0: Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. I'm so pleased today. Our guest is Mr. Edward Farulo, who is the CEO of Vitalinks, as our in-studio guest this week. Ed, welcome to the program.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Darrell. Great to be here with you.
0: I'm happy that Frank Scafidi, uh, my producer, suggested you to come on the show because what Vitalinks is doing especially with one of your clients, which is the Maranatha Human Services. I, I and we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about a great deal, but it, it's it's awesome. So glad to have you on the program. But before we jump into Vitalinks and Maranatha Human Services, could you share with our audience a little bit about your background education and background?
1: Well absolutely. Well it's right there at Seton Hall University. In fact you mentioned Frank graffiti he's one of my good buddies from the time that I spent there. Um, I uh, graduated, I'll I'll give it away now, in uh, 1975 from Seton Hall. Um, I majored in communication arts. Beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, I also also had the good fortune to spend uh, all four of my years right there at that radio station, WSOU, and it's always been a great station. Um, and I was music director of it for four years, so what? I got to hang oh. out with record companies. Yes, and yes. I got to play people like Hall and Oates and Springsteen when nobody else was playing them. Right, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so we had some fun doing that. Uh, and looking back, you know, it was really a formative part of the years. And when I uh, when I left, I didn't go into the radio business, but related, I went into the ad agency business and worked in New York for a number of years. And cut my eye teeth on some packaged goods business, direct response business, and um, figured I'd go where the grass is greener on the client side, or so I thought, and headed up advertising and brand development for the Travelers for a number of years, and then went, and I was chief marketing officer for Cigna Corporation for about 10 years, and um, got to be able to do an awful lot of incredible work there related to redefining their brand strategy and how they need to not only appeal to their audience to to their consumers but how to serve their consumers and for the past ten years I went on my own I started my company called vital links and here we are
0: and so you know your website is extremely compelling Hmm. but what is vital links and 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 what is it that your company what is that you do for your clients
1: Asking me the the tough questions now. <laughs> 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 well, I, we, behind the whole word Vital Links, it came to me one day. I said, "Well, first of all, when I when I went into the business, I figured you know there's so many people putting a shingle out, um, and and going out on their own, you know, and putting their name on it. And I figured, well, my my last name is too hard to pronounce, so I'm not going to put that up on uh, on the name of it. But one of the um, epiphanies I had on on the corporate side was that there's so much more that they can do to be vital to the markets they serve, as opposed to just selling them stuff. You know, what can they do for their health? What could they do for their well-being? You know, quasi-social good. And so I kind of combined the words ink or company and the word vital, and this is how to make your your ink or your company vital. And it also plays off on the word links uh, relative to you really can't do anything alone. You need to have various alliances to uh, to do that, and so that's the the path I took. And you know, it recognizes the the focus on the word vitality. And by doing that, it forces a dialogue surrounding your role with customers or your customer. That the one thing you can guarantee is there'll always be change that will be happening, and you need to evolve with them. You need to stay relevant. You just can't stay in one place. And that's true whether you're doing some things relative to social good, or just trying to be able to uh, keep your your business afloat uh, with them. So it, it requires to try you know go a little bit deeper uh, related to um, uh, becoming far more customer centric, and, and those words are probably used a lot. But if you think about the brands that have really survived over the years, uh, the ones that you can count probably on one hand, are those the ones that truly understand their consumers uh, and how to serve them. And where a lot of companies sort of lose it is when they they lose uh, the sense of of where their money comes from. Uh, And so that whole customer focus and vitality is really the key focus of the organization. And we do a number of workshops. Most of the workshops I do around this are for Fortune 500 companies. And then the consulting gets into a variety of different types of, of companies and even some of those that are, are government-backed services as well. So it, uh, it's, it's a very interesting path that it has taken me on.
0: And so when you think about, I mean, you know, Vital Inks, yeah. I, I got that. But what is your secret sauce? What is it? the the program that you'll pull together, uh, the workshops that you'll pull together that draws clients to keep coming back to you.
1: Yeah, you know it, it's it's a it's a great question, Daryl, and it's gonna sound so simple that it hurts. And, and I think sometimes those of us in marketing try to make our our craft sound almost a little too scientific. Um, so if we focus in on some fairly simple notions, and then the details get a little profound, which is great. But the whole secret sauce really comes down to, do you know who your customer is? You know, there used to be the old thing on television, it's 10 p.m. Do you you know where your children are? Do you know who your customer is? Do you know what they're thinking? Do you know what they're breathing? Um, Do you know how they're evolving? So do 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 you understand what their values are? And then how do your values intersect with them as a brand? How do you make a strong emotional connection with them? Um, What assets do you have that you need to either leverage or develop to have a competitive distinction? And then what is that brand experience you develop? So you're reaching them before, during, and after the decision-making process. But it's all customer, customer, customer. And thinking about them, you know, 24-7, that really drives you. You know, oftentimes I use a simplistic comparison of like Starbucks versus Dunkin' Donuts, two great companies that um... one could argue do not compete with each other really because they have really defined who their customers are very very well and they stick to that model and one model is more about experience starbucks and one is more about expediency dunkin donuts i'm being overly simplistic for the sake of the discussion here but you could almost draw their customers on a piece of paper they're that they're, they're they're that good at what they do based upon their model and how they built their brand And then you really can't think of a whole lot of other companies that are that good at doing that. Um, So that's what this professes, really. Keep that focus in terms of, uh, even I did a workshop last week and I was asking people, can you actually draw your customer on a piece of paper? Can you visualize them? And once they start to get it, it gets profound in terms of ideas that start coming out of uh, of their mouths related to how they can strategically support them far better throughout the whole uh, experience chain. So. It's a simple notion, but it can get it can get pretty detailed. And, and And you might think that it sounds pretty obvious, but think about when you work in various companies, how easily you can get off track. You're worried about the next meeting. What does my boss think? The CEO frowned at me. <laughs> you know, or or um, or the you know shareholder value. All those things that sort of get off. Where I want to do something cool. All those things that become detractors from really serving customers extremely well.
0: And so, when you think about what's right in front of the 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 CEO or the CMO or whoever's face in regards to the, the the customer why why does this cloud appear that that takes their eye off the ball so to speak in and, and they and they don't see their customer or their client as they should
1: because they're they're trapped in four walls <laughs> you know and, I, and what I'm saying even on this discussion I will say you know in the workshops that we do and you know, and I, I often say that. Listen, when I was on the corporate side, it was great time. You did great work, but I didn't realize what I didn't know until I got out of there. And and I, when I was there, I actually was pretty good at being able to, um, you know, keep up with what was going on, because you do get sucked into, you know, what are the what are the politics of the moment, you know, who's in power, who may not be in power. Um, I mean, these are all very real issues. I don't mean to make light of them at all. But those become your your, your focus, and I, I kind of liken sometimes, you know, when you're dealing inside a company that you're in the middle of like this pre-Columbian map where, you know, the world is flat, and if you go out too far, there's a bunch of dragons outside that are going to get you, um, you know, so, so it's all of that stuff that happens inside that – Often, is times is driving people's behaviors, but it's also driving some of the reward system that is there too. That's why what I just said before sounds simple, but it really isn't because it's forcing an external focus when oftentimes the rewards are more based on internal matters. That makes sense.
0: Absolutely, it, it makes me think of how do you manage the the water cooler talk.
1: It's even tougher now. How do you manage what they're what they're blasting on each other's phones? You know,
0: <laughs> right, right, right.
1: You know what? Um, part of it is to embrace it and recognize that it's there, and figure out that there may be a link into that that you could find useful. So, a quick example, and this is this goes back a ways. Um, it no, ties right into the water cooler talk thing. I remember one time, this goes back to my Cigna days, I came out of a meeting with um, the CEO at the time, and he finally gave us answers on a number of things we were waiting for answers for. So I called my staff together, and my head of research, who was uh, a smoker, and, you know, he, he would two or three times a day, he's outside, he's smoking, or whatever, very smart guy, um, did a lot of research. So I kind of went through all this stuff and then said, the CEO just decided all these things. He gets up and looks at me and goes, I'm going out to have a cigarette to find out what's really going on. And when he said that, I I really got really mad at him. And I was going to, like, take him to task. But then I figured, wait a minute. You know what? He's right. (laughs) You know, so he basically has access to another bubble that's out there. And if you think about what goes on a lot of these companies, there's all these various networks of people. So people love to talk, and they love to gossip. And that's a fact of life. And I think if you're a leader you have to accept the fact that no matter what you do, someone's going to be laughing at you or they're going to be making fun of you, and you got to have to develop some thick skin, and part of that is their own defense mechanisms. But, you know, if you, if you can sort of penetrate those smoker circles, so to speak. So, so I changed my tactic. I said I've got to stay closer to my research guy, not because he does such great research, but because he has access to what's really being said out there.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> And how long? Um, can you share with us what a typical engagement? How, you know, wh- what is the critical path of it? Um, from the time that you, you know, you get the phone call, they want you to come in and do a pitch, and, oh. and 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 they accept it, and then you work them through your program.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's all over the lot, and it's very, very unpredictable. Um, and I, I don't want to make the, the, the now the consulting side sound like it's nirvana because it's got its own set of uh of, of minefields you have to deal with um the larger the company um the longer it's going to take to reel them in I, it's like uh, do you fish it's the same thing as fishing oh yes <laughs> you know if you've got a small one it's all the same principles blocking and tackling and you know you gotta you know grab the right bait and the right lure but the small ones they'll bite more frequently and you pull them in but there's less to eat the large ones will sometimes pull your arm off, and when you get them, it's kind of a trophy fish. So it's it takes longer. So I've got a couple going right now, where I, you know I keep thinking, you know, when is when is this coming in? Because I, I I want this project, and we've had some great meetings, and then all of a sudden there's radio silence, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, hey, yeah, come on back in. So um, I would say from beginning of conversations to actually starting an assignment, it could be three to six months. <laughs> but usually what happens is they eat up so much of their time in selecting you that then you have a a month or 6 weeks to get it done but that's, <laughs> <laughs> and then there's there's always time to do it over right
0: that's right that's yeah right.
1: That's uh, right. but the you know the, the the best relationships are the ones that don't hire you under a panic they're being thoughtful and you know they want to you know dive into what you can really do for them and are you a good chemistry fit? Uh, to me, that's uh, of top importance because I, I don't want to. I I don't want to work with people that that aren't a good chemistry fit. Uh, you know, it's uh, life is too short for that now.
0: That is so true. That yeah. is so true. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Edward Ferrullo, who is the CEO of Vitalinks LLC. And I, I'd like to pause and take a moment. There's a particular client that you have that's doing something. Very extra special, and I'm talking about Maranatha Human services
1: yeah what
0: what are they doing that is so unique?
1: Well, you know Daryl, this is one of those issues. one of those things where you know it came, this one came out of the sky, you know I um, maybe it's Providence, my seat in all education. It came from a telephone phone call from a from a, a a client of mine and someone that I worked with before. What they do. Uh, they have a lot of different, um, let's call them group homes or setting up families for people with developmental disabilities. Uh, and they're in New York State. They're actually up in Poughkeepsie and they're also in Queens, New York. So they're, they've got both downstate New York City um, as well as upstate. Uh, I worked with them to help them get a grant uh, from the State of New York and the Office of People with Developmental Disabilities that was looking for innovative solutions to help serve this market. And shelter is a big issue, uh, period, and it's a big issue with folks with developmental disabilities. Um, If they're not being cared for, if they don't have family members, uh, it could add to the homeless population and so forth. Uh, Institutions are also very expensive. The group homes are expensive, and an economical alternative is to be able to find people who will bring the developmentally disabled into their homes to live. Um, I don't like to use the words foster care model, but I, I guess that's probably the best way to, to really serve that up. So, uh, And the model is is titled Family Care out of New York State, but it's never been really published or promoted uh, all that well. And so we got a grant to be able to do this and ran a, uh, a very, very successful campaign. I put together the strategies. I put together the whole team. I pulled together an agency in New York called Darling It operates out of Greenwich Village to help out with all the creative development. They did this amazing job, which basically was a recruitment campaign to look for the natural-born caregivers. And, you know, we researched that market in terms of who would do this, who would be inspired to bring someone into their house with these types of disabilities to live um, and care for. And this was all happening – uh, was initiated primarily during the whole, you know, presidential election when the divisiveness was even at a crescendo. And what we found were these amazing people in Brooklyn and Queens alone. We had a campaign that ran with a television and some transit and radio and programmatic and you know, the whole all the expected suspects that you that you would imagine for, uh, for a campaign. And we got about 1,500 leads of people in just those two boroughs that were interested in saying, raising hands, saying, yes, I'd I'd like to do this. And we had a bunch of anecdotal stories as well, people calling from their cell phones on the subways because these were a lot of the laborers, the people who make New York City work, that would see the ads, that would take pictures of them, that would be calling. And they had stories about, well, I have a brother with this ailment. Um, I want to bring somebody into the home. It it was a turnaround. This was something I could never do as an individual, yet we found these people in, one could argue, is one of the toughest places on earth or has a reputation for it, New York City, where people are supposed to be at their throats, not at their hearts, right? right. But it's incredible in terms of, of, of what we found and that whole notion of, of caring – uh, for others, and it should come as no shock that most of the people raising their hand to do this coming from the various minority populations um, you know so that was another reveal of a side of life that we don 't often get to see what we 're seeing out there is what are the problems with all different populations, not you know the the, the positive aspects of of what you 're seeing. So that was extremely rewarding. And the other part of it, just from an economical standpoint, if someone is placed into an individual home like this, uh, it's about close to, it's almost half of the cost to the state if you're being cared for by a family as opposed to being cared for by an institution. So there's economic benefits to this too as opposed to just sort of the human benefit. And when these people are cared for, um, they become a part of life, they become part of the family they become part of community and so we we called it we we branded a whole new brand called people embracing people there 's a website called people dot org The stories are up there um some of the videos and parts of the campaign are up there as well and it helped put that organization on the map and we're continuing to have a number of meetings up in Albany to figure out you know how do we how do we expand this even further so you know, to me, this has been the poster child of of, uh, of the work I've been doing, and um, I'm actually pr- I'm probably the proudest of this out of anything that I've done, including uh, all that corporate stuff in the past years.
0: That is really, really awesome and very, very beautiful. And this program has been in place how long now?
1: The program was put <laughs> in place. Um, it's funny you talk about lead times. It took about an hour, almost a year and a half for all the, pr- the approvals to sure. come through. The program was put in place in the spring of 2016. Um the advertising portion of itself ended at the uh well but the end of last year, but it's got residual effect where we have a lead base and we're converting leads over to full caregivers and we're looking at potential revitalizations of of the program as well, which is good.
0: That is that is truly truly awesome. Yeah. And so this People Embracing People, it, is it um, peopleembracingpeople.org or pep.org?
1: Primarily peopleembracingpeople.org. Okay. I know it's a, it's a, it's a long uh, um, name to get a URL, but that's, if you put that in and once it in, it's in. It's, it's in, in,
0: exactly. But also you know what it is. It identifies. Sometimes I have some URLs that it's an acronym. I'm like wondering, okay, now what was this for? <laughs>
1: Well, we do in, in the marketing materials. We do refer to it as PEP. You know, it's energetic. Um, you know, it's it, it says a very very positive light. But we like to use that full name as much as possible because it's it's not just about the caregiver, the family caring for the person with a disability. The people who are doing the caring. The reason they say they're doing it is they said I get a gift back. They get companionship back. So who's embracing who here it's them embracing the disabled and the disabled are embracing them back it's it's win win and that's that's what the beauty of this is in many ways
0: wow that is that is truly beautiful that is truly beautiful and so <clears throat> What is your next step with with, um, Maranatha Human Services? Are they still a client? Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I I have them uh, on retainer for uh, a number of different things that we're doing, some in what I'll call the developmental space and caregiving that uh, maybe in a few months from now I could uh, be more free to speak to you about that. But suffice to say, they have a lot of expertise with regards to this particular topic and area and ways to improve care and also be a little bit more efficient at the same time. It does work hand-in-hand. Hand. So, so we're continuing on that. We're continuing to harvest the lead base. Uh, we focus so much oftentimes in terms of these external marketing programs, but we have a, this lead base that we're continuing to keep warm and convert them over to final caregivers and uh, utilize that as basically some testing results that we go back to the state of New York on. Um, yeah, We've got also a number of people that called in from New Jersey, obviously, because there's a lot of bleed over with media. But I don't I don't think Jersey has the same program. Maybe you should. <laughs> Connecticut should. <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> wow. And how big is your team at uh, Vital Inc.?
1: Uh, it's small. You know, it, it varies. Basically, uh, and I have about two other two other people besides myself where we are. Actually, about three that we're working—you know—pretty much continuously together. Then I have an extended group of about an additional four or five that, based upon how projects come along, um, you know, the way we work is based upon uh, you know what the need is out there and how we how we set it up. I, I have no vision of turning this into a Fortune 500 company. I just love uh, making the impact where we're making it and to help influence you know uh, uh, significant organizations.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. And I noticed uh, one of the folks on your uh, team is someone who has been on my program before, Miss Ligia, Ligia Bouzon. Yeah,
1: she's gonna she's gonna frequent. She finds out it's, it's, <laughs> it's great.
0: Absolutely. And so in your business, it and this is why what you're doing is first of all it's for the community and, and is and it's great. It's helping people, people helping people, but also it's about leadership. Yeah. And so. What advice would you give to anyone who desires to be a leader? What are some of the key traits that they need to possess, develop, display etc yeah.
1: Well, um first of all, you know I know there's a lot of books that have come out in leadership and a lot of people like to talk about it, but I think you fall into it at least I did uh, and part of it was when I saw that there there was great opportunities in one of the companies that I was working at and no one was grabbing the ball to move forward and there was like this fear going on i figured well i just can't run in place so i'm going to do it and what i found through hindsight which is always twenty twenty is you have to have um... a few things one is you know a sense of vision i mean you don't have to be like a steve jobs visionary but you need to know where you want to go you know um... And then related to that, you need to have some flexibility. Uh, By that I mean you you might not get to where you need to go, but you can get close or you can get a few steps in that direction. Uh, And I think related to that, too, is tenacity. Don't give up. Uh, I realized when I was on the corporate side that I kept hearing these hints from people saying, this program won't get approved, you know. And I said, well, no one's told me no yet. So do you have the courage to tell me no? Or if you didn't tell me no, then that means the door is still open. So tenacity, of course. Um, and then the other aspect of leadership, and you're not seeing enough of it all around, is inspire. You can't get anywhere. If you, the whole notion of leadership is you've got people behind you to help you. So you need to inspire them and, and make everything you have a mission so you get others to join you in the challenge and to own it. So if you have employees or staff or other alliances that you're working with that suddenly it's more than a paycheck for them, they want to do this project because it's great, all of a sudden you're well on your way. And um, I'd say the last area is you have to be a little stupid. <laughs> By that I mean you've got to be too stupid to know what to be afraid of. And maybe a better word of that is being naive. But, um I'll, I'll, whatever you want to call it, it's you know it's uh, kind of ignoring the the potholes that are in front of you a little bit, and I think those are kind of the key key aspects of of leadership.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. And so, um, if I may ask, um, how do you stay up on your your skills? How do you keep your skill set sharp?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because you know what, it's really tough now because things are changing so quickly. And, um, you know, folks with years and years of experience aren't necessarily given the credit for their knowledge. They're kind of considered, well, what do you know? So you have to stay on top uh, on a lot of things. So, you know, read and observe. You know, it doesn't even have to necessarily be the best book on earth. Just kind of pay attention to what's out there. If you're at the mall, if you're at the movies, if you're – bowling, you know, look at what other people are doing, take it in, uh, be a voyeur a little bit and see what they're up to. Well, how, what are they really paying attention to? Uh, that was one of the research things I once had a bunch of my people do. I said, you got to get out and just go bowling or go for a walk or ride subways and listen to people and, and do that kind of thing. Um, you know, and oh, the other aspect of it, too, is with the workshops that I do, A, you have to stay on top of things. But secondly, while you're doing the workshops, I'm learning from them, you know, I, I'm, I'm, because I facilitate, and as, as some of my clients are, are working on various topics and solutions, I'm learning from them as much as they're learning from me. So it's, it becomes sort of a win-win related to, to that.
0: It is certainly a mutual benefit to that. Yeah, it is. And, and um, health-wise you have to keep your energy up no doubt because you're constantly probably traveling yeah um how do you how do you maintain a healthy diet while on the road
1: <laughs> uh, a healthy diet on the road or how about a healthy diet period <laughs> 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 um that's a challenge uh, that that really is a challenge you know it's funny because when i'm on the road and i'm doing these workshops i mean if, if you get done with them you want to reward yourself right so then it's like, oh, let me have uh you know a manhattan and a and a steak and then you realize, what did I do that for now I feel miserable um, you know it's it's you know moderation uh, you know I think uh, you know in terms of health, what I try to do eating wise is to try to keep the carbs low as much as possible um, rest when you can. I'm usually up pretty early and I can do a lot between like eight a m or seven a m and You know, 1 p.m., but maybe it's a European thing that we have have in our DNA. Between, like, 1 and 4, if I was loud myself, I could probably go to sleep. But then I wake up again around this time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Edward, Um, believe it or not, we are out of time. Oh, my goodness. What I would like to do is for the, the next 30 seconds, if you can leave our audience with one parting thought that you think would be very beneficial to them.
1: I would say, you know, one parting thought is if you've got it in your heart, go for it. And no matter where you're working, no matter what you're doing, it's not about you. It's about your customer. It's whoever, it's whoever you're serving. So constantly think about what role you play in serving others. And I think that aligns with the Seton Hall message, too.
0: Has it yet forward, yes. <laughs> yeah, ladies, and, ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Edward Farulo, who is the yeah. CEO of Vitalinks, Edward. Thank you f- for coming on the program.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Darrell. This has been a pleasure.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for this weekend on Leadership with Darrell Gunter. Remember, if you missed any part of this broadcast, you can catch it on iTunes. You under the iTunes Podcast. Look for Leadership Seton Hall University and Leadership with Darrell Gunter. This is Seton Hall Radio, WSOU eighty nine point five, WSOU.net Remember. Leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.